Uh, good morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Alistair, and uh, I've been a member of this church for a wee while now. Um, we're continuing our series in Luke this morning. Uh, in today's passage, Jesus is sending out his disciples out on a mission. But the principles behind the instructions that he gives to his disciples aren't just for first century mission trips, thank goodness, but I think there is a wealth of wisdom for how we can be followers of Jesus in our day in, day out, here and now. So let's just, let's just jump straight into the passage. I've got Julia's going to come and read the passage for us. Thank you very much. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. I'm going to be jumping between verses, so if you can get it in front of you, that might be helpful to you for this. Just to make sure I'm not lying or make it, making it up, you know. I, I could be, I suppose. Anyway. Luke 10, 1 to 16. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples <laughs> and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on judgment day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyr and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyr and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Now, we've all heard of a three-point sermon. Uh, I have a nine-point sermon. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know if that's bragging or if that's, uh, if that's bad news to you. Uh, I promise it's not going to be three times longer. Um, so that's going to be okay. Um, and I'm also not expecting you to remember all my points, even if I make some kind of acronym. Um, I don't know if that'll come up. Yeah. Uh, so that's really catchy, you know, so you can hold on to that if you want. Um, no, instead, consider this a sort of MOT for your walk with Jesus. I'll cover a lot, not in too much depth, but I hope as you listen... Maybe one or two things will jump out to you as something you could assess in your life. At that point, you know, feel free, just 
Tune me out and listen to the Holy Spirit. He's a good one to listen to. But if you hear anything that I say this morning, hear this invitation from the Lord. Walk with me and depend on me. Walk with me and depend on me. When I was preparing for today, I felt the Lord say that this was his main invitation to us this morning. Walk with me and depend on me. And as I was reflecting on that, it made me think of a story which I'd like to share with you, if you don't mind. Now, this was a, this was a number of years ago. We, Alistair and his dad, got up early. Like, it's still kind of dark outside early. Um, we, we got packed some bags. We wolfed down a couple of bacon butties. And we drove up to the Lake District. We were heading off to climb... Uh, well, what we thought was the tallest mountain in England, it turns out it wasn't, but you know, we, we made a mistake, it's fine, we, we got past it. Um, yeah, Helvellyn doesn't actually hold that title, so anyway, I think it's the second or third, I don't know, it's still pretty tall. Anyway, we parked up, boots on, and set off up the trail. To begin with, it was fine, we, we were getting on all right, uh, the trail is well, is well walked, um, the kind of, it was a grey day, but a pretty nice day. Um, but as we began to climb, the cloud and mist descended and the path got steeper and steeper. Um, these aren't pictures of us. Uh, these are just random blokes off the internet. Um, but <laughs> but that, is, that is the mountain, though. So that's not just a random mountain. So Helvellyn has this kind of um, this bowl shape with a lake in the middle. Um, and uh, what you can see on the right is, is, this, is this path called Striding Edge. Um, and it looked a little bit like uh, that bottom picture when we were there. Um, but it's this really, really narrow path. And you get up on it, and you're like clambering over rocks. It's like barely a meter wide. And every so often, you have to like jump over a gap in the rocks, um, which is like slightly terrifying. I've got to be honest with you. So exhausted, I clambered up on these rocks behind my dad. Um, and all I could do uh, was keep doing what my dad always told me to do, which was just keep plodding on, one foot in front of the other, so slightly terrified, I began to clamber across the rocks, this exposed rocky edge, with no way of knowing how far the fall was beneath me, because the clouds were all kind of hugging to the cliffs. What kept me going along that path was that I trusted my dad. I believed him when he said, one foot in front of the other eventually gets you up the mountain. I believed him, possibly naively, when he said, oh, it's just around the corner. Do you, do you get that? My, dad's, my dad is always like that. Oh, just, just around the corner. I also would have struggled a lot more if I had to worry about preparing and carrying our supplies. But dad had that sorted out. He prepared and he carried the heavy load. I also did like none of the map reading. He could have been, lead, you know, he could have been kidnapping me for I don't know. Um, he didn't though, it's fine. Um, I was completely dependent on, Gad, uh, on dad's map reading skills to find our way through. We eventually got to the top, made our way back down, having had a great day of bonding and sharing an adventure together. I wonder, have you ever had any experiences like that? Can you think of a time where you've had to utterly depend on someone to make it through a situation? And when you come out the other side, if they've not let you down, you come out closer than ever before. I wonder if you can just picture that scenario, picture that feeling. Hold on to that, because I reckon that somewhat captures, on, captures what's going on in today's passage. And I actually think it captures something 
of what the life of faith feels like. What following Jesus feels like. In today's passage, Jesus sends out his disciples, asking them to walk with their heavenly father and trust him completely. Stepping out into what might feel risky, but is definitely an adventure. And as we'll see in next week's passage, they came out the other side more on fire for God and his kingdom than ever before. And it's a similar sort of life that Jesus calls us to live today. So let's dive into the passage and see if there's anything or some things we can take away about how to live this life of faith, to walk with Jesus and depend on him. To set the scene, Jesus is traveling through the country. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's praying for people. People are getting healed. Oh my God, this is amazing. He's setting them free from oppression. He's bringing justice. It's amazing. These are all the things that Jesus says we should expect to see in the kingdom of God. And it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's mind-blowing. At some point, he calls together 72 of his disciples, of his followers, and sends them out to go in front of him. Because he's going from these towns, he's going to town to town, village to village, and he wants them to go ahead and prepare the way. Prepare the way for his arrival. And specifically, they're actually being asked to recruit more followers, it seems, from this passage. So straight away, in verses one and two, we have our first few principles. Firstly, community. Jesus sends out his disciples in pairs. Following Jesus is a team sport. We do it together. This life of faith isn't meant to be done in isolation. These followers went out in pairs for mutual support through the journey, someone to celebrate with, to be encouraged by, someone to share the experience with. That walk up Hell Vellum would have been 10 times less fun if I wasn't doing it with my dad, but now we have that shared experience. We go, oh, can you remember that time? Oh, it was amazing. Also, on top of that, having two of them meant that they could corroborate their stories, so their witness was even more powerful, because they could say, oh yeah, I saw that too. For us, we follow Jesus together because that's precisely what he asks us to do. So if you're walking with Jesus, who else is walking alongside you? Who are you doing this life of faith with? Who is around us to celebrate with, to challenge us, to correct us, perhaps? Or to just share the journey with? Because that's community. And if you're feeling you're lacking it, then that's something we can pray for in a bit. The second principle is multiply from our wonderful acronym. In verse two, it says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We're meant to go out and multiply. The disciples here were being asked to go out and make new disciples to join them, to share in the work and expand its reach. Now, Playing our part in the kingdom of God doesn't just look like telling people about what Jesus has done for them, but it does in part, and let's not forget that. So, like, when I'm at work, I'm doing my, I'm doing my research, I'm developing new precision manufacturing methods for using lasers. <laughs> Snore, I know, anyway. Um, I believe in that moment, I'm working on my microscopes, I'm building the kingdom of God. 
When I go to have lunch with my colleagues and I show compassion and kindness in my conversations, I'm building the kingdom then too. When I put a tin in my shopping bag uh, for storehouse on my way home, I'm building the kingdom then. But in my experience, the most powerful and impactful moments of kingdom building has been when I tell someone about Jesus and what he's done in my life. Now, I'm not good at it, and I'm trying to get better, but it is the sort of thing that can so easily get crowded out by all the other things we've got going on in our lives. Don't let go of it. Let's be constantly working to bring the sharing Jesus with the people around us thing back into the things we're consciously trying to grow in. After all, just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said this in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we make new disciples And we train and support each other in the church too. I think a really good balance is to always be mindful of who is discipling you and who are you discipling yourself. Both these things are multiplication. This brings us nicely to our third principle. Pray. Verse 2 says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. Thank God we don't do this alone. Can you imagine? I would be, I would be even more of a train wreck than I am. And that's, that's saying something. Prayer, prayer is such a lifeline. Like, being able to go to our God, the creator of the universe, and share our worries, our burdens with him, and then see him make a way through them. That's incredible. That's absolutely mind-blowing. This year, a song has been going around in my head, and I think, I think is a wee nurse from the Lord. And it says this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, I'm not claiming an easy fix to anxiety or depression or other ill mental health. But I also do know that prayer can often be a total afterthought, if a thought at all. I know I'm so often like that. So, let's be a church who prays. A people who get into the habit of bringing everything to God in prayer. For example, if you're struggling to find opportunities to share Jesus with people around you, have you tried praying about it? Are you struggling like me to have the courage to take up those opportunities to introduce Jesus to people in your actions or words? Perhaps a regular rhythm of bringing this to the Lord might just make a difference. Those are the kind of prayers the Lord loves to answer. Here, 
here, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm sending you out to go recruit more people, but don't think for a moment that you're in this alone. You'll have your friend next to you, and more importantly, the great helper, the Lord Almighty. He is with you, and you must be helping, asking him for help constantly. The same still applies to us today. God does the heavy lifting here. So actually, actually, whether we feel super confident or not, super experienced or just starting out, asking him for help is key. Sharing our fears and our burdens with him is key. This is us recognizing that we are utterly dependent on him. And that's exactly where we want to be. So far, we've been looking at kind of the more walking with Jesus in community, in multiplying, and in prayer. So we're going to dive a bit more into what it looks like to depend on him. In case we're in any doubt about whether we should depend on Jesus, let's see what Jesus has to say in verse 3 and 4. Uh, it, says, it says, Jesus is sending out his disciples like lambs among wolves. Well, thanks, Jesus. That, that, that sounds great. That sounds just grand to me. There's nothing I like more than being a tasty wee lamb in the, in the midst of a pack of hungry, sharp-toothed wolves. Maybe I can get my hands on like a couple of those teethy things or maybe some claws. Might just help me not like die or something. Sadly, it turns out, the kingdom of God doesn't go by the whole tooth and claw sort of thing. As followers of Jesus, we're instead asked to prefer others love our enemies, be humble, be people of peace. These are not characteristics that are widely recognized in our world for getting you security or power. No. But this is part of the upside-down nature of the kingdom, the truth that Jesus came to reveal. Jesus said in Matthew 5 on the Sermon of the Mount, his kind of manifesto for the kingdom of God, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, no amount of political power, career clout, money and wealth, public or self-adoration will ever gain you the kingdom of God. Not even close. Instead, we are to be like lambs, Seemingly vulnerable when placed among wolves. But in reality, we are backed up by the God of ages. His active and powerful spirit, his army of angels, and his church. Therefore, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you have no need for a sword or money. You have no need for bodyguards, political power, career, or influence. Don't cling on to these things. Instead, depend on God to provide. 
trust in God to make a way. Now, I'm not saying we should all leave here and see who can put themselves in the most dangerous, ill-prepared, or compromising position possible. I know some of you would do a very good job of that, Phil. Um, but, ra- rather than, but rather than any whiff of chasing after worldly security, let's put our hope in God and his faithfulness instead. It, o- it won't always look like what we expect. It, it, it often doesn't come when we'd like it either. But he is good, and he cares, and his timing is perfect. Maybe even now you can think of ways that you could maybe rely on God more. Are there places or people or things in which we're placing too much of our hope in? If you feel like that's particularly prodding you, there'll be an opportunity for prayer with this at the end. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you come and just point out those things in our lives that we need to let go of? Those things that have taken your place on the throne of our lives. As I say, there'll be time for prayer for that later. Our next principle is prioritize. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 4, do not greet anyone on the road. Therefore, we, Kingdom Vineyard, shall henceforth only greet people in buildings. Yeah? No? No? No. Okay. Definitely not. I didn't say that. Forget that. I think in the passage instead, Jesus is asking them to stick to the program. Get to the towns and prepare the way for him. So a really quick one here. If you get a sense from the Lord of what you're meant to be doing, and you've discerned it to be from God, then let that be a priority in your life. I wonder if there are some people here who, even as I say this, are remembering some things they heard from the Lord which maybe you haven't prioritized or done anything about. If that's you, come and receive prayer later. Next, in verses five to seven, operate from a a place of peace. Jesus said, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, the greeting the disciples are to use here is a fairly standard greeting. Peace, man. Uh, But... I think clearly Jesus is asking them to take it like really seriously. If you pray for peace over this house and the people there are willing to accept the Lord's peace, then the Lord's peace will be there. Like that's pretty remarkable. And I think it goes to show how important operating from a place of peace is. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I know some people find spiritual disciplines really helpful for practicing uh, finding peace. Maybe disconnecting from devices of an evening um, is really helpful for you. Um, Practicing a weekly rhythm of Sabbath, which is uh, taking a day to stop, rest, do something that delights you, and worship. Whatever it is that brings peace to you and your household, I humbly suggest 
that it should involve welcoming in God to be there with you, inviting his presence. The next principle, and we're almost there, I promise, is to be satisfied with your portion. Jesus said to his disciples in verse seven, to not go from house to house. Don't pick the best one. Once you're welcomed in somewhere, stay there. For me, this links back to a theme you actually find throughout the Bible, and it's the root cause of literally so many problems in the Old Testament. I think you could probably, like almost every story in the Old Testament, part of the root of the problem at least is someone not being satisfied with the portion the Lord has given them, or not being satisfied with the timing of his portion. Think Adam and Eve, right at the start. They were convinced into eating just one more fruit from one more tree. They weren't satisfied with the whole garden. They had to eat from one more tree. Think Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel, the first murderer in the Bible, because he wasn't satisfied with God's response to his offering. And then he wasn't satisfied with God's kindness in offering protection for him and went off and built his own city, which really didn't go well. Abraham, again, not content with the promises of the Lord made, lied and manipulated people in order to get what God had already promised he would receive. (laughs) Similarly, Jacob and Esau, the Israelites repeatedly in the desert, desert in Exodus, the list goes on. We may look around us and feel like lambs among wolves or a little boy on a craggy, rocky path in the mist and clouds. But remember, the Lord is with us and he will provide. If he's asked you to do something, he will part any sea that's in the way of making that happen, however unlikely it seems. Now, it might not be what we're expecting and it might not come when we'd like it, but the faithfulness of God is worthwhile depending on. And what he has given us as his portion is good for now. And as needed, he will provide what is needed in the next season. Let's not go about trying to forge our own way in the world without depending on and being satisfied with the provision that God has and will provide. Now, if you're here this morning and you feel like you don't have enough, the Lord sees you. I would encourage you to ask him to provide and then see what he does. When the Israelites were starving in the desert, they asked for provision and literal miracle bread fell from the sky every day for years. One way he might want to provide for you practically today is through our food bank storehouse or any other support the church can offer you. If you are in need, please do get in touch. And the way the Lord provides may be through this church family. Our penultimate principle, then, is found in verses 8 and 9. And it is this. Teaching and demonstrating the kingdom go hand in hand. When we describe the things of the kingdom that God brings into this world, we should also be prepared to demonstrate it, to do it. Jesus says it here in verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and then tell them, the ones you've literally just healed, uh, this thing that just happened to you, like you getting healed... This is the kingdom of God coming close to you. In the kingdom of God, there is no brokenness, 
no illness, no strife, no injustice, no suffering. In the kingdom of God, there is peace, full health, goodness, plenty to go around, and justice. Now, we see glimpses of that today. We see it around us sometimes. We see it when we pray for God to move and for his will to be done, as we were just singing earlier. We see some of that stuff here and now, and it's wonderful to see. But we only see it in part. And one day, God's kingdom will come fully, and these things will be fully realized across the whole world. So for us now, when we share the kingdom with one another, when we are telling people about Jesus and his kingdom, let's demonstrate it too. Offer to pray for people, to see God bring healing and transformation in their lives. Stand up for justice. Stand up for those who are, who are downtrodden uh, or forgotten by society. Teaching and demonstrating, these things go hand in hand in how we do church together and in our day-to-day lives. And this brings us to our final principle, identity. We will face rejection sometimes. I've got to tell you. I think many of us would actually be surprised how up for hearing about Jesus people are or for being prayed for. People are surprisingly willing. But sometimes we will face rejection. We cannot let our identity or confidence be dependent on that, though. In this passage, if the disciples were rejected from a whole town, they would just wipe the dust off their feet and move on. Jesus goes on to make it very clear at the end of the passage that the people who should actually be concerned about ignoring our message isn't us, but but the people doing the ignoring. Rejection is hard, but let's not allow it to stop us from even trying. Because we carry the message that Jesus has given us to share with the world. That Jesus came and he died for us so that we could have a restored relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus rose from the dead to show that one one day we too will rise from the dead and live in a world fully restored to how it was meant to be. And Jesus is alive today, moving in the world by his spirit, bringing glimpses of this future hope into the here and now. That is who we are. That's our identity. Carriers of the truth and of the hope that this world is longing for. Therefore, we can be bold, we can be courageous, because we are here to share the hope that was given to us. So as I come towards finishing, I invite you to reflect on the things we've talked about this morning, these these nine points. Community, multiplication, prayer, dependence, Priority, peace, portion, demonstration, and identity. What has the Lord been highlighting to you? What is the Lord, is the Lord wanting to do any work in these areas, in you, in your life? For me, 
rather than walking into work and being daunted by some sense of having to share Jesus with people, I want to be excited. I want to be excited by the opportunities to see God's kingdom come in my workplace, free from the things that hold me back and free to enjoy walking with and depending on my Father in heaven. Like how I walked up that mountain with my dad on an adventure together with me fully depending on him to get me through. Even in the mist and the cloud, even when clambering over rocks and skirting across cliff edges, as well as when the sun is shining and the path is easy. I want, I want a front row seat to see what the Lord is doing in the world. I want to have first-hand experience of the excitement of the kingdom breaking into this world. I want to trust the Lord that he will provide and that he is leading me exactly where he wants me. Friends, he is calling us, beckoning us all in closer to do with him what he loves doing most, transforming the world and people's lives. And we have a part to play in this as we walk with the Lord and depend on him in our day-to-day lives. Why don't you stand and I'll pray. I wonder if we can just get those, um, the nine headings back up on the screen, if that's all right. Or not, well, we'll see. Um, yeah. Holy Spirit, thank you that you've already been speaking to us. And Lord, I pray... Um, that if you are wanting any of us to maybe just lean into any one of these areas, show us, Lord. Community, multiplication, prayer, dependence, priority, peace, portion, demonstration, identity. Lord, what are you wanting to do in our lives today? How can we be better at following you, at depending on you? Come, Holy Spirit. Speak even clearer. We ask you to do even more. I think some people in here are starting to feel a sense of peace that you've not felt for a long time. Increase it, Lord. Increase it. Yeah, I think there's some people in this room who feel like, God, I'm not sure if I've been walking the right way. Um, I think there's some people in the room who the Lord actually wants to encourage. I am not that far. I am not that far away from you. Lord, draw us back close to you. We want to be with you.